Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Kelly Henderson, and you're listening to the Velvet's Edge podcast. I often get asked what my favorite episodes on the Velvet's Edge podcast are, and it's honestly such a hard question for me to answer because each episode has truly meant something completely different to me. However, it is the holiday season, and I wanted to take this time to share some of my top episodes with you guys where I feel I truly connected with the person I was interviewing and walked away with many new lessons learned. Some of these topics are directly related to the things I've personally gone through or am going through. Others are just amazing lessons of life. Today's episode is with Dr. Judith Orloff, a psychiatrist and empath who has written many books about the gifts of being an empath and exactly what that is. I have always been highly empathetic and have often found it hard to navigate through life carrying around not only my own, but other people's emotions as well. Dr. Orloff gave me some understanding of what being an empath truly means and how to use it as an asset. Here's our conversation. Okay, so we can just go ahead and get started. Um, I have to tell you that when I first started reading your book, The Empath Survival Guide, I was sobbing within the first four pages. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I have, I've never, I've always kind of thought maybe I had empathic tendencies, but I've never had someone explain it so well or put into words what I was feeling. Um, so thank you. That was, it was much needed for me. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm so glad that my words resonated. There are so many of us empaths out there that know we need to know we're not alone. Right. So you are a certified psychologist, but you're so passionate about the topic of empaths because you yourself are an empath and you've had to learn yes, to... I'm, I'm actually a psychiatrist and MD. Oh, okay. And so, yeah. And so I'm also an empath. And right. so I combine my psychiatric skills with being an empath, which is a perfect, perfect combination. Um, but my process of becoming an empath has an empowered empath has been a, a long one because I grew up believing there was something wrong with me and I always fantasized that a spaceship would come and land in my front yard and take me away to my true home because I didn't really connect you know to other people or know any other empaths growing up. What do you mean you felt like something was wrong with you? I felt that my ability to um, sense energy or be intuitive or to be so sensitive to light, smells, sounds, talking, um, or being able to absorb other people's emotions into my own body. I didn't know what was going on. And so my parents, who are both physicians, told me, oh, dear, you just need to get a thicker skin, and oh, you're overly sensitive, which made me feel like there was something wrong with me. Um, and so, you know, I grew up, you know, feeling, you know, not seen with a capital S. And empaths need to be seen. Empathic children need to be seen. They need to be guided and nurtured and encouraged and educated. And I had none of that, even though both my parents were physicians and I come from 25 physicians in my family. Um, I felt alone. And I think that's a common feeling that many empathic children have. 
and I write about that in the Empath Survival Guide, how many empathic children just feel so isolated and don't connect and withdraw inside of themselves. And so it's just, I bring this up because it's a very common experience. If you identify as an empath who's an emotional sponge who tends to be very sensitive and loving and open, but you take on the angst and the, the stress of other people, you know, as well as the positive, you resonate with the positive, but empaths don't have the normal filters that people have, and so we feel everything. Right. Can you explain what the difference between just having empathy and being an empath are? Yeah, empathy is that beautiful, precious quality of being able to have your heart go out to somebody in joy or in pain and to really feel for them and their experiences. But being an empath goes further than that. You feel for them, but then you actually can take it on in your own body where you almost become them. And empaths, one of the tools I talk about in my book, which is so essential, is how not to take on other people's stress, emotions, or anything else they're experiencing, you know, and how to hold the space for someone but not take on the stress. That's a, a powerful tool for empaths to learn, and most of them don't learn unless they get specific education, and that's why I wrote the book, because it's liberates. Once you learn these tools, your life becomes amazing and you can experience the gifts of being an empath, the intuition, the connection to nature, the passion for living, sensuality, um, creativity, um, being able to sense and know things about people on the earth. You know, all of that is so much fun. And it's, I so enjoy being an empath. But if you, you know, if everyone wants to enjoy the beautiful parts of it, you have to learn self-care strategies in order to put them into practice so that you don't absorb other people's stuff. Right. When you, you talked about just the, the weight of that, and that was kind of, I think why I started crying when I was first reading the book, because for so many years I've felt that like taking on other people's emotions, but you can't really explain that to someone else who doesn't feel that without sounding for me I, I feel like without sounding crazy like I just I would yeah. come home I travel a lot for work and I would come home from these trips and I, I mean it would take me days to recover and it's because I was constantly with people and taking on their emotions and like th- all of the weight of that even if I'm in a really good place in my life I can ha- I can be around someone who's going through something and have to take days to like grieve that or feel that or all of those things because I'm carrying their emotions Exactly, exactly. And what is so liberating to learn is if you notice that you're starting to take on somebody else's stuff, let's say you're with a client and you're picking up their anger, or you're picking up their uh, physical symptoms of some sort or their, their anxiety, then you could immediately at that point begin to breathe it out, begin to take steps mm-hmm. not to take it on because by the, let's say you're out on the road for a week working on a project, by the end of that week, you might be a wreck because you're absorbing so much stuff from everybody. And then it can take days, you know, or even weeks to recover. Exactly. Well, you you describe a lot that the empaths are sensitive people. I think even on the cover of the book, it says life strategies for sensitive people. But when I think about sensitive, I think kind of like what your parents are saying, like you need to grow a thicker skin. And I think a lot of times that's kind of how it's interpreted in our world. You know, like you just think about sensitive, like getting your feelings hurt easily. Um, but what does that mean? Sensitive. In regards to an empath. Sensitive I guess. or being empathic is, uh, are the traits that are going to save the world. I mean, I feel really passionate about it. That's why I'm, you know, writing about it and talking about it, giving workshops on it. But I, I think that this quality in all human beings, except for maybe a few, like narcissists or sociopaths or psychopaths, because they don't have empathy, they have empathy deficient disorder, um, the empathy inside of you, your ability to feel for somebody else um, and see their point of view and see that it's not us versus them, but just one human family, that's what empathy lets you know, and that will save everything. It'll save mm. your relationships. It'll save the planet. It'll save you. 
because you're not always, you know, saying, oh, it's that terrible person out there. You know, it's about how can I be more loving and centered and strong and um, passionate and follow through with my dreams without taking on my clients' stuff, my coworkers' stuff, my spouse's stuff, you know, my children. How do, how do I do that? And that's, you know, what the empath survival guide is about and also thriving as an empath, which is self-care strategies every day of the year. 365 days on what to do on January 1st, what to do on you know, June 17th, mm-hmm. what to do around the holidays, you know, when it gets super stressful and there's so many, so many crowds out there and people are getting empaths just have a horrible time because they, empaths also tend to like one-to-one interactions or small groups rather than large crowded stadiums or crowded shopping malls. You know, we tend to absorb the energy in crowded places because there's so many people there. Um, and so over the holidays in particular, empaths need to learn to follow their own intuition. And, you know, be with one person. Be with your animals. Do whatever you want. You don't have to go out in big crowds necessarily. You know, buy if you're going to buy presents, buy them online. I don't know. But there are lots of, lots of loving kindness strategies to practice over times that are particularly over social with a lot of expectations to fit in a particular way of being. Right. Well, if empaths are going to save the world, let's talk about how people become empaths or are empaths, because I have so many questions about this. Um, Is it something, uh, because there's a lot in the book about, you know, children who go through trauma or maybe children who grew up in alcoholic families possibly bringing or adopting some of those characteristics of an empath because you have to kind of guess people's emotions all the time and all of those kind of things. But is this something you're born with or do you learn it or is it both? Like, how does that work? Yeah, it can, it depends on the case. I mean, some children are born empaths. I, when I did my medical training at USC, I would work in OBGYN. And no, you know, deliver babies, and babies come out so differently. Some are like little Buddhas, sensing and feeling, and others are like more closed and, and more protected, more guarded. It's just so interesting. So hmm. I think genetics has a lot to do with it. What we bring into this life when we're born, sometimes the birth experience can affect it. If you have a traumatic birth, you know, that, that can already begin to break down your barriers. What traumatic birth is what happens at birth. It's really important, you know, how we enter this very coarse life, you know, the earth plane, how we enter this from where we were before, you know, is critical. And so that can affect our sensitivities. And so it can be genetic. It can be environmental. Um, You could have empathic parents and you could learn to be empathic that way. The, The positive side of you know, of having empathic parents is you could learn empathy and they could support empathy in you. But let's say you have an alcoholic parent or a narcissistic parent, then you probably weren't seen as a little girl or little boy. And so your beautiful talent of empathy and sensitivity and intuition were not seen and probably they were denigrated and squashed, you know, which is a trauma in and of itself. And so a lot of empaths grow up and have PTSD, um, either from actual emotional or physical abuse or just from not being seen and not being recognized for who you are. That can cause a sort of trauma as well that needs to be healed as an adult. And, of course, it can be healed. And so much of it has to do with inner child work and reclaiming that beautiful child who is left somewhere in some house in your past, wherever the trauma occurred. And the, the work that I do with patients and also in thriving as an empath, I have a technique of reclaiming, going back, doing a visualization, going back and reclaiming that beautiful empathic child who's stuck in some house that you lived in. And so you need to go back and find the house where the trauma happened and reclaim the child, bring the child back home with you now and say, I will never allow you to be hurt again like that. So it's powerful. I'm making it short, but it's powerful 
inner child work that many empaths need to do to reclaim it's almost like a lost part of their their soul, their empathic child, you know, and, and bring that back into their life now, which is so exciting, you know, and wonderful and liberating. Right. What's the difference is or is there a difference between that kind of empath healing and just maybe a person who doesn't identify as an empath who grew up in a dysfunctional household? Or is it a similar process? It's similar, but the dynamics are a bit different because the empath child is, if you can imagine, a sponge or just an open system, you know, without any barriers, without any filters. And you can imagine how the intensity of the experience is upped. And plus, the the empath child often wants to make it better for the parents because empaths want to help. They want to make it better and so the empath child often takes on try you know the anxiety of the parent you know i did that with my mother she was very anxious and and i would hold her hand and that energy would go into me and so as an adult you know i really had to work in my own healing process about you know that was my mother not me and to have clear boundaries with that but you know that's the work that some empaths need to do depending on their parenting right I'm- and it's Sorry, go ahead. Oh, it's all possible. You know, all this is so doable and it's so liberating. But these are just some of the dynamics that, you know, I work with as a psychiatrist with my patients and I write about. Um, And they're all so doable because when you begin to work with self-healing in this way, you are free. You know, you don't have all that weighing on you anymore. And if you learn how not to take on other people's stuff and you really practice that a lot, it's liberating in and of itself. Right. And you have so many um, scenarios and techniques in the book of just little visualizations you can do while you're in the moment. I mean, for me, that's such a huge thing, even when you're talking about your experience with your mother. I mean, I think for years I've been carrying so many different emotions that probably aren't even mine. And through this process of healing, I mean, it, and it's it's just, it's such a big weight. You don't even realize like how exhausting that is. But the chronic fatigue that you talk about a lot in the book, that is something I identified with so much because no matter what I do or how much sleep I get, I feel that. And I think it's from carrying the weight of emotions. Yeah, I, it, it probably is. And so what's so helpful is to journal about, you know, maybe two or three people from your childhood where you think you took on their stuff. Was it your mother? Was it your sister? Was it a friend? You know, and really begin to sort through what is really me, what is really them. And then do, I have a cord cutting visualization in both books, actually, and in Thriving as an Empath, where you can cut the cord energetically between yourself and that person. And it doesn't mean you cut off the relationship. It means you cut off the bond to whatever is draining you, like right. anxiety. And, and it's really useful. It really works, but you have to be ready. Yes. You say empaths feel things first and then they think, which is the opposite of how most people function in our over-intellectualized society. So can you tell me more exactly. about how an empath processes, processes different scenarios Differently than, you know, a normal person or a person who isn't empathetic? Normal. <laughs> what is normal? Yeah, the empaths feel. Empaths are, you know, have invisible tendrils, just open, feeling that the world. Empaths speak the language of energy, subtle energy, which Chinese medical practitioners call qi or shakti. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the invisible energy that, you know, in yoga, you activate it in the body with certain asanas. So, it's energy in the body that empaths are exquisitely attuned to. And they begin the world, they approach the world from this energetic standpoint. They don't think their way through the world. They feel their way through the world, first of all. I mean, they also have good intellects, but their first way is to feel somebody, as opposed to analyze what they're saying or keeping an intellectual distance. If you stand next to somebody in pain, Unfortunately, many empaths just sit there and their hearts go out and they take it on. Or they're going by a homeless, you know, community and they look look at it and the anguish there they take on into themselves, you know. And, and so that's just how empaths 
approach the world. So it's important to learn very clear boundaries, you know, with what you do and who you look deeply in, into their eyes. You know, you don't want to look deeply into everybody's eyes because then, you know, you'll pick up a lot of stuff that is none of your business. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to keep clear boundaries with you and other people. I mean, just last night, for instance, um, I was out to dinner with a friend and somebody came over and I was introduced to them and they reached out their hand to shake my hand. And I just said, you know, I don't really shake hands. And they said, oh, okay. You know, but the reason I don't is I don't want to feel their energy. You know, I don't want to, I just don't even want to deal with it. It's an intimacy. I'm not interested in the strangers. So it's just a choice I make. So you can pick up stuff just by shaking someone's hand? Yeah, empaths can. That's a, there's a chakra in the palm that sends out so much energy. And so either through the hand, through hugging, through Mm -hmm. eye contact. And so empaths need to be discerning, not paranoid, but discerning about, you know, who you want to hug, you know, who who you want to look deep into their eyes. You don't want to look into everybody's eyes because then you connect to their soul, basically, and you pick up stuff. No, or, you know, how much do you want to hug somebody? How much do you want to shake their hands? It's all it's all up to you. And, you know, in society, we're not used to having these kinds of conversations or right. these boundaries set. Because they're afraid of, you know, oh, the person will think I'm impolite or they won't like me. Um, but it, it's in my experience, that isn't what happens. It's just so not used to, it's not used to, and I say it so matter-of-factly and lovingly. People usually just go, oh, okay, and that's it. I mean, maybe they talk about it afterwards. I don't know. But, you know, I'm good with right. it. I don't say it like I'm afraid of being judged. I say it like this is my boundary and please respect it. I mean, you've had a lot of practice, though, right? Because I'm listening I to have. you <laughs> say that and I'm thinking of myself and there's been there's like a specific instance I'm thinking of where a friend of mine was dating a guy who the second he walked in the room, I got I couldn't shut it off. Like the energy was so bad to me that I was, I just started reacting when I would, but my reaction was so big and so kind of inappropriate. I felt like it, then I felt yeah. embarrassed and I felt bad for my friend later. But so how did you learn how to do what you just described? Um, just self-protection, self-care. Yeah. So that's why I, I feel I wrote this whole book thriving as an empath on self-care techniques. If you have to learn what your truth is, and it's not always, you know, I, I could change as an empath. My sensitivities vary each day. Some days I'm more sensitive, or if I'm tired, I have to take more care of myself, better care of myself. Yeah. Um, but it's just a form of listening to your body. Uh, and so I've learned, you know, I've learned how to take care of myself so I could go out with people and enjoy them. You know, and it just takes some practice. I sometimes work with my patients where, you know, I'm I'm the stranger, I'm the person out in the world, and they're learning how to set boundaries with me, you know, so they could get practice. So you could practice with friends, you know, mm-hmm. saying, you know, no, I'm not able to go out tonight. Thank you for the invitation. You know, or if you're in an environment, like you said, where the energy was bad, where you could excuse yourself, go into the bathroom, meditate for a few minutes, center yourself, and come into that environment in a more centered place. Yeah. You know, so you learn these little tricks, and they make a huge difference. That would have been a lot better way to deal with it than I did. Yeah. If you know anything about me, you know I am a massive creature of comfort. It is one of my top priorities in life to make my surroundings comfortable at all times. So when I found Cozy Earth, I quickly scooped up all of the luxurious bedding and loungewear that I could. It felt very on brand for me, but then I went on a trip with a girlfriend not too long ago where she could not stop commenting on how cute and comfy my pajamas were, which then made me realize they may also be my new favorite travel companion as well. Guys, I am not kidding when I say you will experience unmatched softness and smoothness with all of Cozy Earth's products. The temperature-regulating bamboo joggers and pullover crew add comfort and a touch of style to any travel ensemble, and their bedding comes in the most adorable totes, making it a super easy gift to give anyone. Discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code VELVETSEDGE at the checkout for an exclusive 35% off 
and let them know we sent you when you're at the checkout. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This was something that was super eye-opening for me, but you talked about just bright lights and loud noises, how they can almost be painful. And I've always had, or I guess it's just that we're, we're just, our senses are so much stronger because like I have to have, especially for sleep, it is a whole process for me of there can't be any light. It has to have, I have to have a sound machine. So I have consistent noise. I'm very sensitive to smells. Like I, I can't handle, or I smell something very fast that people would never smell for, you know, at all even. Um, my phone ringer, I cannot ever have it on. It just gives me anxiety, like the sound of that consistently coming into my space. And that is just, that was so interesting because I've always just thought, I didn't even think about it. I just thought that was, I didn't think about why I was like that. But what is that? Um, it's just a, a sense, your sensitivity is turned up so that these things that, you know, you that feel on a higher volume than other people to you. You know, a lot of people are not walk around numb or they, you know, are in their heads. And when they're in their, just in their heads all the time, they don't, they don't respond in the same way as somebody who's more embodied and, you know, has, has more sensitivity. But the, the secret is to honor that, mm-hmm. you know, as an empath, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not quote overly sensitive. You need to have a beautiful house with low lighting. You need to have the, you know, the tone turned off or down or have some beautiful chimes, you know, instead of a horrible ring. Um, you know, you need to have smells that are nice to you, you know, in your environment. So this, these are self-care techniques. And, and if and empaths have a particularly strong sense of smell. And so, you know, let's say you go into an elevator and it's filled with perfume. To, to many empaths, it can feel like you're being suffocated. Yeah. It's so strong and awful. And to other people, they might say, oh, what a nice smell. You see? So, and I just want to say to everyone listening, being an empath is not better or worse than anything else. It's just a particular personality type and way of being in the world that has gotten, that hasn't been honored. And that's mm-hmm. why I feel so strongly about honoring it so that People are pathologized. Many, many empaths come to me. They've been to psychiatrists. They've been diagnosed with panic disorder, major depression, you know, all kinds of things, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, and they might have all these things, you know, so-called diagnose, you know, the diagnostic categories, but the underlying diagnosis of being an empath was not made. And so there was no techniques given to the, to these people to work with not absorbing other people stuff. And when you're on sensory overload all the time, which happens with many empaths, meaning they're just maxed out with their senses, then the stress hormones begin to flow and then the adrenal glands begin to overwork and they tend to get adrenal fatigue. And so, you know, it's a vicious cycle. But once you learn how to turn down the excessive sensory input, oh, it just feels so good. You know, and you're not on overload, which is so painful, you know, and most of the time you're feeling really wonderful, you know, and you can modulate the sensory input that comes in as opposed to just medicating it. And like most psychiatric, you know, people do. Well, speaking of medicating, you also mentioned that addiction is very prevalent among empaths. Is it because of the sensory overload? Are we just trying to turn that stuff down? 
Well, sensory overload has a huge role in it. And, you know, many people become alcoholics or addicts and, you know, then they go into recovery and they're also recovering empaths because, you know, empaths who have addictive tendencies turn to drugs and alcohol or food, sex, you know, anything addictive to numb out their sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a chapter in the Empath Survival Guide on empaths and addiction. And food addiction in particular, because many empaths get really, really fat because they need the armor to protect themselves from the negative energy they're picking up. So and the you know, I wouldn't say shield? many, I would say some. Yeah. So it's like a physical shield, you mean? Like the um, extra yeah, weight? Yeah, the, the armor, the fat huh. provides armor so you don't feel as much. There's just more mass between you and the world. And those old-time psychic healers around the turn of the century were typically really, really obese women. They weighed three or 400 pounds, and they claimed they needed to have that weight on them in order to do their psychic work so that they didn't take on the pain of their clients. Hmm. No, I don't believe that you need the the weight on you, and I'm pretty thin. But, you know, there's a section in the book on empaths and food with, you know, a bunch of techniques to use other than eating to protect yourself. Let's talk about empaths and relationships because this was a super mind-blowing section to me. Um, You mention that a lot of empaths are attracted to unavailable people. Why? Right. Well, most empaths, who come to me, let's say they want to find their soulmate or they want to find, you know, somebody to really connect to us on a deep level, and yet they can't find anybody. And so, you know, why is that? Um, You know, people say, oh, there's just not a lot of good men or women out there. That's a line that's used frequently. And, you know, yes and no. Um, Because empaths unknowingly like unavailable people because, they won't get overloaded by the experience of intimacy if they haven't learned to navigate that. So if they're constantly wondering why this guy hasn't called, you know, on a deep level, that's a lot safer than being in an intimate relationship and having to talk with them about, I need my alone time, and this doesn't, you know, mean that I don't love you, you know, having those kinds of conversations because they don't really know how to have that. And in any relationship, you need to protect your personal space. You need to map out alone time. You may not even want to live with a person. You might want to have separate homes or separate wings or separate bedrooms. There's a whole new paradigm of how to be together in a couple if you're an empath that I talk about in the Empath Survival Guide. And it's important to read about those questions that you need to bring up with a mate. So relationships aren't fraught with too much togetherness. As empaths get overloaded, I could never be with somebody all the time. It would drive me insane to be with somebody constantly because I need I need my alone time. I need mm-hmm. to have my separate space. I want I've been living with someone for six years and you know, it, it works because he's able to hear my feedback. You know, if what I do you get mean? overloaded. If I need to be alone, if I need to sleep alone, yeah. if I need to go go in the back house, if I need not to talk, um, if I'm feeling overloaded and it's not the best time to have a conversation, um, you know, there are all kinds of issues that come up. You know, if I want to leave a social event because, you know, I'm maxed out. And he's not an empath, so was- he doesn't respond in the same way that I do. Thank God. (laughs) Well, I was just going to ask that. Do you see two empaths being together more often than not? Or do you see one empath and one non-empath? Like what seems to be more common? It's all personal preference. Some empaths prefer each other. Mm. And some empaths like me prefer non-empaths. You know, there's a, a type of person that I talk about in the book called the rock somebody who's strong and steady and isn't swayed by the winds of life. Yeah. You know, and, and it's just, you know, maybe, you know, doesn't have that extreme empathy, but they have a good heart. You know, I do best with that type. You know, as opposed to someone who's feeling something all the time. Right. 
That seems like <laughs> it would be me, major you know, overload. To handle. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> two of us for me would be too much. You know. <laughs> Sometimes but, for me, I, I want to connect to people in that way. Like the, I want another empath in the way that we can understand each other. But you're right. Yeah. Like if I think about it in a relationship, sometimes I need someone to pull me kind of out of all of the feelings right. and not be as quite as emotional or as sensitive as I am. Right. Right. The grounded. Much yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so energy vampires are also another part of the relationship aspect of this book. This was fascinating to me. You say narcissists are attracted to empaths? Oh, there's a toxic attraction between narcissists and empaths and in the chapter on empaths and love. Um, narcissists, full-blown, let's say full-blown narcissists, not just those with narcissistic traits. Full-blown narcissists are not capable of empathy. They have what's called empathy deficient disorder. Mm-hmm. So basically, this is so hard for empaths to get. They don't really care about what you're feeling. You know, they only care about it in the sense of how it might serve them. Right. But this is very confusing because in the beginning of the relationship, they put on a false empathic front. Right. <clears throat> it's very confusing. But what I you know, tell my patients is just beware of really charismatic people or overly charming people because a lot of times they're narcissists. Narcissists have charm, unbelievable. You feel that electrical lightning experience with them, bam, you know, you're alert and your senses are awake and, you know, it's just an amazing, that lightning striking experience you can feel with narcissists. So you've got to really, you know, take a step back if that happens just to make sure your partner isn't a narcissist. And, and you know, in the book, there's certain traits you look for, and, it, and it's tried and true with every narcissist. You know, so I suggest to people, as empaths, if you think somebody's a narcissist, just provoke a little conflict in the beginning. Whatever. Just don't do something their way. And see how they respond. Because narcissists typically get cold, withholding, punishing, and their true self comes out. But if they aren't a narcissist, they would say something like, oh, thank you for telling me your needs. Now I can better respect them. You know, a narcissist wouldn't say that unless they were trying to manipulate you. Right. I'm thinking through all my dating past as you talk I think that yeah oh my gosh yes like I 100% have been in multiple relationships with narcissists um I don't think yeah until I read that in the book about the part of um them putting on the show for a while because that's I think it's such a confusing thing it's a you know you get really confused on what is chemistry and then what is that toxic connection that you're talking about between the narcissist and the empath Right. Well, just provoke a conflict with the next one. Yeah. And see how they react. Um, Because if you're all, you know, in the, you know, glazed over with passion and, you know, an expectation, you're not going to see the real person. But if you can just take a breath, say, okay, you know, I'm going to provoke a conflict and see what, see how this person responds, then you can bring out their true colors more quickly. And also you need to See how they treat other people. Yeah. See how they treat the parking lot attendant. See how they, you know, treat the food server. You know, if they're nasty to certain people, then they're, that's how they're going to be with you. You know, you want to have somebody who's kind to everybody, you know, and cares about the earth and cares about other people. And narcissists don't genuinely care. So they, they care... They, they'll, they'll give you positive strokes if you admire them, if you mm-hmm. tell them what a good job they did, you know, or what an incredible person they are. I mean, that they have soak up. But in terms of um, loving you, no. Right. Mm-mm. They're well, not capable of that love. Yeah, I mean, I work with a lot of celebrity clients, so that's such a narcissistic world in general. You know, it's kind of, it breeds that just because of, the nature of the job. So I think I'm almost used to that, but yes, very eye opening. I'll have to test it out. 
Um, yeah, but in the, the I, I want to make the distinction. There are people just with narcissistic traits who are not full-blown narcissists. So they just have some qualities of self-absorption, but they may have the capacity, you know, for caring if they go into therapy or if mm-hmm. they go into coaching. Mm-hmm. Then they have, the, or if they go into 12-step program, that's very helpful for narcissists. If they're addicts or alcoholics, because then they have to be of service to other people. Right. That's part of the program, you know. So, you know, there are those down on the scale who are not full-blown narcissists, you know, in the entertainment community that, that you're in. So I wouldn't suddenly, you know, say everyone is right. a narcissist. I don't think that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to say that, you know, with makeup artists and with, you know, anybody who has close physical contact to other people because you're working on them, mm-hmm. that for empaths is very rough. I've had a lot of patients in those situations or hairstylists, you know, it's very rough because not only do they, the people tend to tell you their life stories, mm-hmm. you know, you're near their energy field picking up stuff all the time. So you need to take special time to replenish yourself, you know, in terms of meditation, getting in water. You know, hot bath, yes. showers, that helps to cleanse you. Saging or, or burning sweet grass, you know, in your, your environment. Meditation, breath, yoga, getting out in nature. You need to have all those things going on to balance out your experience with being so close to the public. Right. Over the years, I've actually gotten to the point where, you know, I have my kind of my set clients that I have learned to work with because I am so close to them. Um, And I I have a hard time taking on new people at this point because of that exact reason. It's exhausting to me. Um, And this is actually this is why I even wanted to do this podcast in general. I got a message from one of my followers on my Instagram at Velvet's Edge. And she is a hairstylist. She works in the bridal industry, but she said the beauty industry is a place where people feel vulnerable. Many times I'm dealing with insecurities, feelings, and stressful wedding chaos. I know they are not directly related to me, but I can't help but still be affected by it. I can often feel the atmosphere or the vibe of the room without anyone saying a word. Since I know you're in the music industry and probably handle large personalities who are perhaps feeling the pressure, public expectations, and criticisms of the media, What are some ways as an empath that you are able to power through and do your job well without letting the atmosphere affect you? And I don't know. I mean, you can probably speak to this better than me because I literally just learned five new techniques in your book (laughs) because I think I was just shutting down. You know, I would if I that's what I was saying when I travel, I come home and it's hard for me to function. It takes me a couple of days, which isn't realistic, especially if you're in a relationship or if once I have kids, those kind of things like that is not a good way to live, you know? No, I mean, that's where I mean, in both books, but in Thriving as an Empath, I offer a self-care technique per day that you can use in environments, you know, such as, you know, being in public or having to deal with a lot of different energies in an office environment. But in terms of what you can do, um, the first thing you need to do is learn how to use the breath to breathe out negative energy. And, to, uh, you know, when you go into an environment, be aware in your, of your body. Does this feel good or does this not feel good? So that you can kind of titrate the, you know, the, you can get the feeling in the room. You can read the room. And then you can take care of yourself in specific ways as a result. But I just want to say some rooms are fantastic to walk into. You know, the right. energy is so good. You know, some yoga studios or, you know, concerts or, you know, beautiful sanctuaries that people create, you know, for retreat centers. It's just beautiful. You know, and it's just an empath's feast for the senses. Um, but if you're, you know, around the public, then you have to, you know, develop some kind of meditation practice so that you learn to center your energy. And there's a three-minute heart meditation that I describe in the book where you breathe you breathe out stress. It's critical to know that the breath, when you breathe out, that breathes out the stress or toxicity. You don't want to hold your breath in life because that's what people do if you're around an energy vampire. A lot of people get afraid and hold their breath. And that's the worst possible thing. You have to breathe out and breathe out any negative energy that you're, you're picking up or any fear. And then you need to, you know, 
get used to excusing yourself if you're feeling overwhelmed just to go to the bathroom so that you can meditate for three minutes, center yourself, you know, feel stronger, and then come back out in terms of the situation. Um, and then also learning how to set clear limits and boundaries, essential for empaths. Learning that no is a complete sentence. You know, no, I'm sorry, I, I can't meet you at, you know, midnight tonight to do your hair. <laughs> no, I can't do it. You know, I'm just yeah. too tired or I'm not able to do it. I learn how to, you know, set limits, you know, with people and set, set limits nice, firm, and loving and short. You don't want to get into it with people, you know, or no, I'm not able to, you know, stay for three hours, but I'd love to come for one hour. You know, to be able to control your environment a little bit more. Uh, and then also know what your emotional triggers are because what you're triggered by in other people is what drains you. For instance, mm-hmm. if you if your trigger is anxiety, if somebody starts getting anxious around you or a client is anxious, then your anxiety button is going to get triggered and that's like a super drain when your triggers are activated. And so... No, part of being an empath includes self-healing, you know, where you say, okay, you know, where's my anxiety coming from? You know, did it come from my mother? You know, how can I, you know, separate that bond with her so I don't take it on anymore? So it's, it's a lot of knowing yourself, you know, and also getting into water as quickly as possible, taking breaks, you know, not having a schedule where you just go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. Yeah. I mean, I, I limit the amount of socializing I do because I enjoy it, but I don't, I can't do it all the time. This is too much for me, too much input. And that's fine. You know, it's fine for me. You know, I, I say no to a lot of events, so that's fine too. But I don't just go and torture myself. You know, and just get exhausted. If I, you know, when I go, I can sense my body. When I go on a little bit of overload, you know, voices sound louder, lights become mm-hmm. brighter. Mm-hmm. And it's just too much, you know, it's like signals, red flags. All right, that's fine. Just get quiet. Just take care of yourself. And so I'm, I'm I, and I want to emphasize I'm continue, continuing to learn this. This is a lifelong process of, of tweaking and listening to yourself. And it's beautiful. I wouldn't have it any other way. I love this. You know, I love being sensitive. I love, you know, being able to see into people and read people. And and empaths can tell if somebody's being inauthentic. You know, you can just feel it in your gut. Yeah. You know, something's off. And that's that's a plus. You know, you want to know that, but you, you also want to listen to it, which many empaths don't. And many empaths are people pleasers, so they have to begin to deal with that in themselves. Now, you don't want to have to please everyone. At times, you will disappoint people. Mm-hmm. No, I hate to break it to you. <laughs> oh, I hate, I mean, I'm definitely a people pleaser, but it's something I've been working yeah. on. I'm a recovering people pleaser. We'll say it that way. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Re- recovering people pleaser. But for empaths to compassionately deal with all of these things in themselves and to find people and jobs, and situations that feel good to you, you know, and to create a life that's, you know, let's say you love the ocean. Let's say the ocean, you know, impacts love water. You know, go try and live by the ocean right. if you can do that. You know, go follow where you're most comfortable so you're not living in the city when you really want to be by the ocean. Well, I think it's so interesting, too, about getting to know yourself and allowing yourself to not have to do everything like for me a lot of times I mean I'm in my 30s I feel like I'm striving to build a business kind of thing and I do it a lot of times where I'm just constantly going and that is what is very praised I feel like in our society but it does not ever pan out right for me like I end up exhausted I do not feel like I bring my best self to the table when I do that when I'm not taking care of myself but it is hard for me to say it's okay to not do that or it's okay to take this time off or it's okay to not be going constantly like everyone else I have never been able to to one, let myself off the hook, but I've never been able to move like other people. So it's hard for me not to feel shame about that, if that makes sense. 
about setting limits for yourself in terms of yeah because I feel like a lot of people around me I watch them just go 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 and I think a lot of programming in me I don't know if this is common for most people is that that is the key to success is to strive and to go and to keep doing and I can't do that well that's good that you know that but the the secret is to take many breaks it's to not never schedule back to back to back too much that's yeah a recipe for exhaustion and then you won't want to go out for a week after that right yeah, so that's not going to serve you either. Right. So it's about balance. Balance. It's about balance. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're invited, I don't know, you know, three events in one day. You know, at least take a half hour or an hour, you know, to meditate, to be quiet. Just turn down the stimulation between the events. You know, that helps a lot. The mini breaks for busy yeah. people. You know, it really helps a lot. It, it makes you calmer i mean for me when i when i'm feeling sensory overload and i take even three or four minute breaks it feels just like i'm being replenished again just don't talk to anybody you know close your eyes meditate close the shades you know just be quiet or play some lovely music whatever just shift your state and then you can go back to the world of people after that right do you, you talk about most introverts being, I mean, most empaths being introverted, but can you be extroverted? Because I'm not sure I fully identify with an introvert. Yeah, yeah. In the book, I talk about both introverted and extroverted empaths. Introverts, you know, like staying at home, like being with their animals at home, you know, like having one person over, you know, like watching movies, you know, don't go a lot out to events, but they're extroverted empaths who love to socialize. But the key is that you have to have downtime after you socialize Mm -hmm. so you can decrease your stimulation level. You can't just go from one thing to the next. So extroverted empaths that I work with have to learn that. Can you be both introverted Um, and extroverted? At different times, you could have a need. You know, you might go through a phase, you know, where you're more introverted. And that might be related to the seasons. It's also related to the winter season where people go inward. Mm-hmm. more you know because i follow the seasons and you know the phases of the moon and I, you know i believe all that affects empaths it's just something i'm very connected to in my spiritual practice which yeah. is a Taoist practice and so you know on the full moon and new moon i do special prayers and meditations and connections you know to feel the cycles of life you know empaths can do that if they want to they could be in touch with the cycles of life and some Cycles of nature are quieter and more inward, and others are more outward and socializing. So you have to listen to your body, and and connecting to nature is one thing that empaths, you know, a lot of times love doing. So, you know, one of the gifts of empaths is a high level of intuition. What does it mean to be an intuitive empath? Are all empaths intuitive? Empaths have a certain amount of intuition. Um, but the intuitive empaths often have extremely strong intuition, um, where you can sense what's going on in other people. You can get visions, or you can, you know, get knowings, or you can get strong aha feelings, or all of a sudden something becomes clear. Um, and it, it's about inner listening, where your body tells you, you know, various things about people, or they're also dream empaths. You know, I, I've been recording my dreams since I've been a little girl and following their guidance because I'm so connected to that realm. So some empaths, the form of intuition, they connect with other dreams. So it, it just varies. There's, you know, some empaths are connected to plants, plant empaths, or animal empaths, or earth empaths, where you can be particularly connected to the earth changes. So... If you have this sensitivity, it can be directed to so many different areas. And and some empaths have more of a specialty. You know, let's say they're, you know, more an intuitive empath and they connect to animals or they connect to the earth. So it, it's good, you know, in those cases to live near the earth or to spend a lot of time, you know, with the earth because that's very nurturing. 
The two I related with the most, you, you describe all of the different kinds of intuitive empaths in your book, but the two I related to the most were the telepath and the dream, which I think for most of my life has what made, has been what has made me feel a little crazy. Like I have not wanted to say those things out loud because they're really kind of strange almost. Like especially the telepath one. That happens to me a lot um, where I think something and – you know, the, the most recent one that happened to me was a couple of months ago. I was just walking up the stairs and I had this flash of my grandmother falling for random reason. I, I mean, I was, I haven't even, I hadn't talked about my grandmother or talked to her in weeks. It was so strange. And I was like, wow, that was so weird. I wonder why I thought that maybe just cause I was walking upstairs. I don't know. It just like, it was this flash and I saw her actually falling. And I got a call from my mom the next morning that she had fallen, had a pretty bad fall and um, that has happened to me so much throughout my life. But it's it's weird and it's scary, which you address in the book, because you almost are like, oh, my God, did I cause that? Or what What was that? Like, why did that happen? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's because you love somebody. The intuitive bond and the connection with them is very strong. And so if they're in trouble or something's going to happen, that's often a louder signal. So. It gets transmitted through the wavelengths, you know, whatever yeah. they are. It gets transmitted from one heart to another. And you obviously love your grandmother very much. Right. So you're, you're connected to her. And to me, from my frame of reference, it's not weird at all. It's our natural human capacity at its peak, its finest, to be able to connect to people that way. And at first, at my first book, Second Sight, was about, you know, growing up as an intuitive, empathic child and all those things you mentioned, you know, feeling that somehow I caused it, mm-hmm. you know, or there was something wrong with me and, you know, kind of dispelling that and then how I use it as a doctor. Um, but you didn't cause it. You're just open. Yeah. You know, it sounds like you're a very open, intuitive, loving person and you need to, you know, learn some skills not to take on too much, you know, because empaths tend to overhelp yeah. and get involved with things that are none of their business. You have to, you know, each person is in their own lane. You know, you might overlap, but each person has their own path to be on. So you stay in your own lane, and it's not your job to take on the world's suffering. You know, empaths need to learn that. It doesn't help the world, it doesn't help you. What does help is if you learn how to hold space for people so that you can provide, you know, a loving environment for somebody to go through their own pain or their own path without getting overly involved. That's, that's another skill to be learned as an empath, and I, I do discuss that in the book. I love that you finished the book with a chapter about just the gifts of being an empath. What would you, what would you say the greatest gifts of being an empath are? Um, The ability to love very deeply and to connect with human beings, with nature, with life, to be able to feel, you know, with capital F, you know, the flowers and the ocean and, and, you know, beautiful people that you could connect to and, and to be of service to others. You know, my work as a psychiatrist, it allows me to sense what other people are feeling mm-hmm. so I can kind of get it from their angle, you know, and that gives me, you know, a deep perception into them. That's very important to me. I think the most important thing to me is connection. You know, it's how we connect to ourselves to the people we love, to the people, you know, my, my patients, that depth of connection, my being an empath really, really helps with that. And I love that. I love the quote that you say in that chapter. It's from environmentalist David Orr. And he says, the planet does not need more successful people. The planet desperately needs more peacemakers, more healers, restorers, storytellers, and lovers of all kind. It needs people to live well in their places. It needs people with moral courage, willing to join the struggle to make the world habitable and humane. And these qualities have little to do with success as our culture defines it. So how would you say you found success as an empath? Mm, through the power of my heart and not being afraid. Hmm. You know, being able to you know, expand my sensitivities and, and teach it. You know, 
to others. I'm very happy about that, that I'm in the opportunity, I have the opportunity to teach others how to work with their empathy in a positive way. Well, so it's just, it, but, and if you squash it. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.